0: that company flopped. I mean, you know, we we had a good run for a little bit, but then, you know, there was an investment in infrastructure that we just didn't want to do and because our customer was not the customer we were looking, we didn't see really where this was gonna continue to go. So we decided, well look, let's take our losses and, you know, go our separate ways with my partner.
1: Okay, we have Gunner on the on the show. Gunnar, thank you, uh, Gunner, thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you, thank you for having me, Robbie.
1: Yeah, we were just catching up. Uh, you know, prior to uh, starting, uh, you were telling me about uh, you know being in Toronto. You're you're currently in the West End right now in Brampton.
0: No, I, I live in New York City right now. Uh, you're in New York, but, okay? Yeah, New York City. Uh, I'm actually uh, outside New York, but yes, uh, I've been in New York City since uh, 2008 now. So. Some time. Gotcha.
1: But you did live in Toronto for a bit.
0: Yes, yes. 1999, I was uh, in Toronto and I was doing this program with the University of Toronto. And, uh, and I was also going because at that time, you might remember, maybe you're too young for that, that there was the 13th grade. Right. So if you wanted mm. to go to university, you had to do the 13th grade. So. In my case, I had to finish high school as well as try to get my university studies uh, started. So I lived in Brampton and I was going to North Park uh, Secondary uh, High School uh, in Brampton. So that's how I know the area we were talking about, uh, Toronto and the area of Toronto. So, you know, I'm more familiar with Toronto, the city and the surrounding Brampton, Mississauga areas. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the West End, definitely.
0: Yes, yes, yeah.
1: Cool. So, I mean, we, we got connected because you're part of a, a few entrepreneurial networks, uh, and you're currently working on Carl, right? A, 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 a fintech play right for the Correct. investment it, Yeah. Yes, So yes. Yeah, so uh, tell me more a little more about Carl, and we'll jump uh, right into that.
0: Right. So, Carl is a hedge fund platform. Uh, we specialize in quant hedge funds. So quant hedge funds, the way we define them are generally going to be uh, investment programs that are designed in a, in a way that follow very specific rules and require very little in terms of human intervention. So when you think about, you know, investment professionals, uh, you know, or maybe a hedge fund manager, most people might think about a guy who is sitting in front of the computer or sitting with a group of people making decisions about how to allocate capital in this case, all those decisions, all that you know process of going from you know I believe this could be a good idea or where is the information? how could I analyze the information and and go from that process of making the analysis to actually uh creating uh you know having a position in the market all of these decisions are made by a computer program so this is what we call investment algorithms or you know uh computer programs that are designed to make to ingest data uh, analyze the data come up with a decision which is whether to buy something sell something or maybe not do anything and that's the the strategy right so around that, it's an investment strategy we partner directly with uh quantitative hedge fund managers and we make their investment strategies available through uh our mobile app so our mobile app is uh, is it's for direct to uh consumers so it's a b2c uh opportunity what um What investors get access, they get access to managers that otherwise or investment strategies that otherwise they would not be able to access. If you wanted to invest in a hedge fund, the typical minimum is going to be half a million to a million dollars. Through the process that we have put together, we are able to provide you with this access for a lower minimum. Our minimum to become an investor is $20,000 but this gives you access to all the managers within our platform. And we're really trying to disrupt the way that the the industry works, uh, as well as to creating a much bigger, you know, industry uh, for the hedge fund industry, right? Um, So some of the things that we have brought with our mobile application are things that you probably expect from any mobile application, from any services that you probably use, especially after COVID, you know? digital, always-on, and on-demand type of service. The way that you invest today in a hedge fund uh, company, you have to do your your own research, especially if you're a a self-directed investor. You have to do your own research. Uh, Once you have done your research, which is very difficult because there is not a lot of information about these uh, entities. Once you have found a fund that you actually like or you want to invest with, you have to have the minimum half a million to a million dollars to invest. Once they have, you know, allow you to invest, you will receive once a month, maybe once a quarter, it depends on the company, a statement on your uh, capital. So, you know, you can think about that and you're like, what? You're telling me that I only know how my money is doing once a month or maybe once every three months and that I have to come up with like this huge amount of money to become an investor. And I don't have information about these companies anywhere. So, you know, we believe that if we give you the information, we give you the right tools and we give you the access, you will be able to make very good investment decisions. So with us, you know, we do the diligence on all the funds. So we do the We do the process of doing the analysis and finding. Uh, these firms and then bringing them to you and telling you, hey, Rabbi, this firm or these 10 firms that we have here, these strategies, we believe are good. And you should at least, you know, take a look. Number two is the $20,000 investment minimum with us gives you access to all the strategies we have. And it gives you all the information, you know, what they trade, how often they trade, what's their average return, what's their risk, who are the managers, you know, where they've been, what they've done, videos explaining how the strategy works. These things you're not going to find anywhere. Number three is that we give you the tools to create a portfolio. And with this portfolio, you can see how this portfolio of hedge fund investment strategies would have performed over the last six months, over the last month, over the last year, over the last five years. This you're not going to find anywhere. Maybe, you know, you have to be a uh, somebody working within the industry that has tools for institutional investors, maybe a Bloomberg terminal, something like that uh, you know then the next thing is that once you're comfortable with that portfolio that you have built with the strategies that you're invested in, you can follow your money every you know in real time we, you open the app and you know, oh okay today i'm you know I'm making ten percent fantastic, mm. you know. You don't have to wait until the end of the month, you know, immediately. And we don't have any lockup periods, which is very common in the industry or, you know, any gates or anything like that. So we're trying to really give you access to, you know, best in the industry tools, best in the industry funds so you can diversify, you know, you have your stocks, you have your 401k, you, you might have, you know, your insurance. And now, you know, you can put, you know, a little bit of your wallet into quant hedge funds and hopefully, you know, what we want to do is really help people reach their financial goals. Some of these vehicles, you know, people have a lot of opinions about hedge funds, but, you know, once you really get to know them, get to know the strategies, get to know the objectives, because this is the other thing, right, a lot of these strategies have a very uh, particular objective, like you know, a strategy will only make money when the market drops. Right. So if you're like, OK, well, I'm thinking about retiring in the next two years and I don't want my 401k to take a hit. If I oh, 401k, you know, in, in mm-hmm. it's the retirement account in the US, but, you know, yeah. your retirement account to take a big hit. What you would do is you can invest kind of like buying insurance right, into one of these strategies to protect your overall portfolio so you don't have to be at the mercy of what happens to the overall market right mm-hmm. or if you want to just decrease the volatility of your portfolio let's say you if you like to invest in a lot of uh, tech companies or you know highly volatile uh, growing companies but you want to uh, want to get uh, your overall volatility a little to be less so it, here's where you'll find very specific, uh, instruments to do things like that. Now, if you just want to do, you know, 20% in an annualized basis over the next five years, you know, that's also a thing you can, you can find. So we give you more control, uh, more certainty about what you might expect. It might happen with your, with your capital. Uh, and we give you, you know, the tools and the information that you're not going to find anywhere
1: else. Mm. So, you gave us a lot to digest here, right? <laughs> I want I want yeah. to break this down into pieces and let's kind of it. go through it, right? So, the quantitative finance. Let's, let's dive into that first, right? Um, so, I as I understand it, um, you know, high frequency trading uh, came to be in about two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Uh, it started picking up, and comp- and, and uh, uh, trading became like a human uh, endeavor to a now a computer endeavor where you can make these multiple trades really quickly and make uh, you know margins off of uh, you know uh, fractional trades. And what ended up happening was people realized if they can bring down the ping, uh, ping, and the uh, latency between connecting the stock exchange by being physically close to it, or even better, running like fiber optic cables right to the center, right? Like there was a, I think there was a firm that was like legendary for spending millions on developing, on getting a fiber optic cable that they laid to even have a better connection to the to the, uh, to the to the New York stock exchange. And uh, you know other other companies that built like you know bought buildings right next to the, the stock exchange trying to get access to this and there was a whole run in this industry to get quantitative uh, finance set up and the, the infrastructure around it. And really brought, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, developed this, uh, this, uh, you know, brought like, like, I guess, like these uh, computer science and, um, you know, these high, uh, like, uh, technology-minded individuals into the finance industry, and from there kickstarted like the, the fintech revolution, right? Okay, how can you deploy use the technologies available mm-hmm. in software? You know like Mark Anderson said, software is eating the world. how can it eat into the into the financial industry? how can we you know slice away parts of parts of the finance that are traditionally run by these really hierarchy uh, uh, uh industries that's very heavily regulated and use the power of software to kind of like democratize it and give it give it the hands of more people
0: right. Yeah, you know, you know, it, the the I, I think the quant that I mean the industry you're describing the finance, uh, you know, in general, uh, it's very very dependent on software. I mean, uh, you know, we've been developing software for uh, the market for quite quite some time, uh, and you know, it's I think it's a process. Now, you know, obviously, high frequency trading, MIT uh, my Personal view is a very profitable business, but it has over the years become very, very difficult to participate. Yeah. So only really big firms can allow you know themselves to have the uh, investment that is required to continue uh, participating in that type of uh, you know mm-hmm. business structure. Um, from the quant hedge funds that we have and the quant funds we offer, right? It's like you say, is the next step once, you know, computers took over what basically brokers were doing and market makers were doing. Now we have all this technology to reach the markets very quickly, execute trades in you know a nanosecond. Uh, what started to happen and I think this is uh, I started working in high frequency trading actually in 2009, right, right after uh, at school and, you know, what I saw, I mean, part of Carl and part of, I guess, is myself. It's a, you know, a progression of my career as well as a progression of where I see the technology, uh, going, uh, you know, is that first in, you know, early 2010, we started, uh, using more and more alternative data. And that's where like there, there was, you know, more and more data was becoming available. And before that, most quant managers were fighting each other, mostly using uh, price data or market data. Once this other source of data became available, then basically opened this whole other world, right? Like credit card data, cell phone data, traffic data, website traffic data. You know, there's all these other sources of data that it's so, so much that there is no way one single person can really analyze this data. And because the data is becoming to be more abundant so, and it's coming in with greater frequency, you know, we believe that only, you know, computers will be able to crunch this data and come up with an answer. Now, you know, uh, I'm originally from Chile and they, they have a saying over there that with enough time, everybody's a genius. So yes, you know we can give this data to somebody who might analyze, and will reach probably the same conclusion as uh, you know as a manager that has a bunch of you know computer infrastructure. But because time is money, we prefer to invest with the guy that has a bunch of computers to analyze this data uh, and come out with a with a you know a conclusion faster.
1: Cool. So. <clears throat> quantitative trading right like let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the the, the quantitative uh, the hedge funds that you that you operate on uh, and you, you work with um you give us a kind of a hedge level overview right of how that all kind of operates but how does that actually work you know like like you know how do, how do they um, uh, execute trades uh, what makes a quantitative hedge fund different from a regular hedge fund right uh, like they, yeah they use computers and algorithms but exactly what what are they doing
0: Right, right. So, you know, they they all going to have a few different uh, aspects, Uh, whether it's, you know, their objective, right, or what they call the mandate. So whether their mandate is to, for example, just hedge a portfolio, whether it's to, you know, be a long only, meaning they only buy, they don't short and be equity only. But, you know, the process generally looks about the same for most of them. It's that there'll be some sort of idea, right? Like that, you know, light bulb moment, you know, that you're like, okay, I believe that, you know, if I just give an example, if I can get my hands on cell phone data to know how many cell phones are at a Walmart or a Home Depot at any given moment, plus the market data that is coming in, I can come up with a model that tells me the pricing of the stock right now. That will be more accurate than if I didn't have the cell phone data. Okay, so that's the idea. Now we gotta put all the data together, create a model, an algorithm that can analyze this data, and you know provide us with the. That's basically the research part. Provide us with uh, an statistical uh, analysis of of this idea, right? Now once we test that idea and there's a lot of different ways to test it, we see if this idea could generate a return, right? Mm-hmm. If we believe this idea can generate a return uh, and you know it's okay and we are we are okay with the risk, then this set of rules, meaning we have market data, we have cell phone data coming in, it goes into uh you know computer, it scrambles all of that, analyzes, and then says, you know, buy at this price, for example, buy Home Depot at $25. So, you know, all of that process from the idea to the research to the decision making, you know, has been automated. So now that process can repeat every second, every minute, every hour, every day, until we decide, okay, now we have uh, for example, credit card data. So I think that I can make my system or my strategy better by adding credit card data to this. So the, generally the process is to be able to use a lot of data, try to understand the data and create a process that can analyze the data and give you a decision. Now that decision goes straight to the market, like you said, and it gets, you know, executed at that point you have a position in the market and you're going to have to at that point initiate something like an order management system or some sort of risk management system that is either is going to either hedge the position is going to exit the position given some rules uh or is going to uh you know probably not do anything mm. so those are generally but the way that it, i would say that it's easy to uh, maybe ensure is that it has very low human interaction from, you know, uh, like, you know, there's some, what they call, uh, you know, semi-quant managers. They'll have a process for the research. The research says you should buy this, 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 and this. And then the manager looks at that, looks at his worldview and says, well, I'm just gonna buy the first two. We're not gonna buy the first three. And he's making a decision on, you know, that it's, It's not what the process would have otherwise done, right? So now there is no way to test whether it is the manager that has the, you know, that is really good at choosing these stocks other than seeing if he's making or losing money or knowing if it's the process, right? Mm. So when we have a process like this that we can repeat and repeat many times, we can easily tell whether the algorithm and the process, you know, it's going to, it's, it's working and hopefully will work in the future.
1: I mean, that's, uh, that's really interesting. What, what goes into making these algorithms and how, how elaborate or intelligent are they? Are they simple, like if statements, like if this happens and do the, if this happens, this happens, or is it like a pattern recognition, like deep learning, like that's going through and, and, and learning the systems, like how elaborate are the systems?
0: It could be very simple, as like you said, so like some if statements that that it's following certain data coming in, and based on that data, it it triggers a signal, and up to, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning processes with, you know, that that are consuming terabytes of data every day to, you know, manage a portfolio. So uh, there are simple very elegant process and there is some elegant but not so simple very complex processes now you know some people argue that if the if the if the process is simple then somebody else is going to be able to put it together sooner or later it, you know probably sooner than later while if the process is very complex and tech, highly technically uh difficult to put together then it's going to take a lot more time to imitate and, and have a similar process the people that are behind this generally, you know, there's going to be uh, somebody who generally is going to be very seasoned in, in finance, whether it has worked at different firms or different hedge funds, but it, it, behind there might be a team or a group of people where there's going to be computer scientists. Uh, it's very common to find people with PhDs in math or PhDs in physics. Uh, that are working together, in, you know, in collaboration to come up with this type of algorithms and this type of investments. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, like you know, I want to talk about that word you use, which is worldview, right? Like if the manager decides that this fits his worldview or not, you know, does that worldview idea come from, you know, years of experience, understanding, it's a guttural instinct. Uh, you know the human i'm interested in the human and machine intelligence is mixing right at what point uh you know do you feel it's better for a human to step in versus uh, let the machine make a decision
0: that's a that's a very good question so at carl we we look for strategies that have very very low human interaction and yes human interaction is important because there's certain asymmetric risks that you're not n- never going to be able to get rid of. Right. Uh, for example, you were talking about, you know, this company is connecting through fiber optics and this. So what would happen if you lose all your market data, then your computer cannot run on its own. And, you know, we might want somebody with a finger on the switch to like, say, well, you know, we stop trading or we sell out or do something like that. Uh, but, you know, in general, what we like about quant uh, strategies is that they follow a very, you know, scientific methodology to come up with a, you know, with a solution to the problem they're trying to solve. So it's more about what, let's say, the science or the numbers say, rather what the manager thinks. Uh, and I think that there's also a lot to say about you know time frames the shorter the time frame you know the more reliance you're gonna have in a computer this meaning like if you're making a decision you know every day about what you're gonna buy or what you're gonna sell you know 24 hours might might seem like a long time but if you have a lot of pieces of information you know a computer might be better suited for a job like that. Now, if you go less than 24 hours, 12 hours, six hours, you know, if you're making, if you're buying and selling every hour, you know, you're basically at that point, you're becoming a market maker, maybe. But now, you know, managers, um, there's examples of great, great, you know, money managers. But generally, the, their world view is more like, you know, okay, you know, I think, you know, we think the vaccine is rolling out you know, the economy is going to open, the economy is going to do well, and things are going to be much better for everybody. So I feel less, you know, um, anxious about what the prospects for, you know, my job are going to be. So therefore, my worldview is that we should invest, right? We should, I think the market is going to do well, the economy is going to do well, so we should probably invest. Yeah. But, you know, that's, you know, there are managers that can do that and, choose the companies that are going to be the winners over the next three months, over the next two months. And they're doing that very often and they manage, you know, great amounts of money. So I think that there is a space for, for everybody. You know, I'm not saying that quant managers over anybody else. I think that over the spectrum, uh, there is, it, it provides you with that dif- diversification between one and the other, right? is i think it's like a, a conversation that that you can have about like well at what point you get rid of the driver if the car can drive itself right so you know it, there's there's always going to be situations in which probably you're not comfortable with the car driving itself but other situations where you're like yes i think that actually my car parks better than i do so yeah mm-hmm. so you know it's I, I think that in that sense technology has not gotten to a point where You know, we are. um, We can discount the, the 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 intrinsic decision making that some discretionary managers have, and some of them are very good at at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it goes back to our concern about uh, you know machines running our economy, right? More and more markets being taken over by machines. Uh, I think back in what 2011, there was something, uh, 2010, there was a flash crash where like 7% of the global economy was just uh, completely gobbled up in like a, in like a in a few seconds um, and initially it was written off as a computer error from these high frequency trading uh, but but one guy went uh, was charged with it um, you know out of uh, a high frequency trader out of uh, uh, out of a little shop in uh, in London there's like a great Netflix documentary about him and in uh, and his he triggered it his trades triggered this flash crash and he profited X amount like you know like a few tens of millions uh, off that off, the, off that but the world economy lost like billions of dollars and it had to recover uh, and it kind of brought up this kind of a spiel of like okay when computers run more and more of our systems you know who's uh, who's over watching the machines right and What's, uh, you know, how is everything kind of fluctuating back, you know, when everything's kind of coordinating amongst itself? Uh, I think one of the interesting things about the financial industry is like it's like the hub of like almost like the collective consciousness of, of humanity, you know, like i did my uh, undergrad in neuroscience and psychology at at uft but i took a lot of like uh, you know political science courses and i took a lot of like economics courses and one of the ideas like i really stuck with me the idea that economics or like the market is really like the 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 collective intelligence of uh, of society kind of uh, kind of working like or at least a part of it some people view it as that being the the the, that being the actual like group mind where other people see as a part a, a, a part of the greater group mind but essentially the markets are basically like you know, as uh, you know, billions of people's wants and needs being perf- fulfilled, right? Uh, through the companies and the companies that perform those actions, and then people speculate on top of those companies, right? Um, right? Do, do you accept this world at all? Do you ever think about it?
0: Uh you know, it's 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 hard to think like that. I for me, I, I guess. The, the way I see the stock market, right, uh, and, and the market in general, uh, you know, it's, it's a place where people to transact and participate. Um, if you're referring specifically to the stock market, right, um, you know, most of, the, I would say that, yes, from the economic perspective, it makes sense, you know, companies buy a product. Uh, I mean, consumers buy a product that somebody manufactures, therefore they're gonna have more demand. Their stock should go up, and this and that. But uh, you know, a lot of times, if you see the numbers, the the ones that benefit the most are a small number of people that are the ones that actually own stock, right? Mm. Uh, so, for example, there was a a great article last weekend, and I don't remember if it was the Wall Street Journal or Forbes, but it's about the growth of uh, ETFs and index investing, and basically the article sees that we're becoming—it's becoming common ownership because everybody is investing through ETFs, and the owners of the ETFs, or you know the, the ETF companies, State Street and other, you know, the big three, uh, are the ones that basically are buying through the, 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 the ownership of the ETFs in these companies. So, uh, you know, I think that the market, I, I don't think the market is totally efficient, uh, but in, in our sense and in our objective with Carl is that we want strategies like the ones we offer to reach more people uh you know the same as the stock market and there's companies that have done great jobs at that uh you know making stock trading or you know or investing more available right i mean we are trying to do the same with a, with a product that is outside you know the the stock market right it's a product that generally you know hedge funds quant or not has has been a product that for as long as I can think of, or as know of, it's been a product that has been for institutional investors only or or exclusively, right? I mean, you know, there is very few and they're all very high network individuals that can participate in, in this, right? And if you think about that, it's like, these are sophisticated, very, uh, you know, uh, large investors that manage large sums of money are participating in this, but, you know, most people are not able to participate or get access. So our goal is to provide access and say, look, there is an alternative. There is, you can also participate as an institution does, and we're basically, you know, leveling the playing, the playing field. You know, maybe you don't like hedge funds, which is fine, but at least you know that you have the chance to participate and to now invest the same way that an institutional investor is is doing it so i i think for us is is you know inclusion financial inclusion here is an opportunity get better dif- diversification uh and you know hopefully we will help you achieve your financial goals in a, in a, in a way that is probably uh simpler and uh more rewarding
1: yeah um, that's a very, I, I, I think, much more simplified version of thinking about the markets and looking at things. Because um, the way I was kind of, uh, I, I, I started looking at, at it from a different point of view. It's like, it's more of this group mind where like, you know, when billi- millions of people are like transacting, you got to get like this like, this group consciousness coming up, right? And what I think is cool about, you know, when you inject software and, and technology into this piece is that you can map things out in greater, greater context and greater detail. What's happening, right? Do you feel like, you know, especially being in the industry, now that things have been computerized and um, you can see patterns better, um, you know, uh, do you do you feel like, you know, you're, you're getting a, a, a greater glimpse in how the world works or how the markets work um, through technology, through a lens of technology?
0: I think the... I think it's becoming more and more fragmented, okay. which is creating a lot more uh, data gaps. Um, mm. you know it's uh it's a world where there is a lot of more more fragmentation, which is not a bad thing, you know necessarily uh, and because of this fragmentation, more people can access, but that's creating you know kind of uh, you know different sources of information. Um, The patterns that you you might be talking about, these are less noticeable because there is, you know, there is a lot of fragmentation. Talking about, you know, high-frequency traders, you know, that's how, you know, dark pools started. Regulation has to follow uh, to, uh, uh, you know, accommodate large players in the market that want to transact really big, you know, uh, chunks. Uh, companies that you know offer you know free commission, free trading, change the world for you know the retail investor, uh, and you know created a whole different uh, business model uh, in to in which they can operate. Um, so I think the market, yes, is it's a collective. Uh, you know, it's like a voting mechanism, right? It's mm. people are at the end of the day we follow what you know, kind of what people think and say. And uh, and that's the way people are voting and we see it in the market.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The, the voting side, I've, I've heard of that before. Like the idea you have people vote with their money, vote, like, you know, by you know pulling in or out, you're kind of getting a speculation, like a, like a prediction algorithm, right? That's being set. Um, in, in crypto and a few of the marketplaces, uh, people have been trying to replicate this, like a mi- in a micro environment where you can speculate in almost anything. Uh, on the weather to like things like, like there's an idea that if enough people are like, you know, putting predict, predictions on things, the average of it is generally uh, generally really good. The idea of collective intelligence comes into play. How on the average of, of, of a large data set that, you know, things are pretty accurate uh, in a certain degree. And uh, I, I find that really, really fascinating. Right. The idea that uh, is a group mind, this idea that uh, uh, collectively we are more intelligent than the individual. But, you know, going back into uh, Machines and Curl, like as a startup, you know, um, uh, uh, there's, some, there's always a hurdle in being in entrepreneurship, right? And it definitely helps to have so, sometimes run through, run, uh, you know, run in your history. Um, is this, uh, you know, your first time being an entrepreneur? Can you talk about your entrepreneurial record?
0: Right. Uh, yes. Entrepreneurship is definitely uh, very, can be very rewarding, but it's hard. It's tough. It's very tough to be a founder. Uh, you know, people talk about founderhood and, you know, things like that. But so I, after I was in Canada, as I mentioned, uh, I couldn't deal with the winter. Uh, I, <laughs> I went to Chile in the year 2000, is, basically. Is that where you're from? I was born in Chile, yes. Mm. Okay. So I started a company. Well, you know, it was everything very organic, I would say, at that time. You know, I was very young. And somebody... Yeah, you know, I learned computer science and I was good at math and uh in in Canada I took computer science classes while I was in school. Uh I went to Chile. Chile was getting uh broadband internet, you know, so it was I would say 18 months behind, you know, North America in terms of like the explosion, right? Mm. The, the the tech boom and the, so there was a lot of needs for websites and uh, randomly somebody asked me if i could uh, help them with that and i said "Yeah, i can do that obviously and he referred me to somebody else after i built his website so and 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 you know there was such a big demand that i started you know with some guys from university and we were building websites initially and then you know that turned into a business he called Optical Web and that basically we became a domain services, uh, you know, website this you know provider. Uh you know, back in those days, you know, it was very different than it is today. Mm-hmm. And the, the business really turned into data management. So uh if you remember storage on those days was very expensive. You know, if you had a computer with you know a couple of gigs of memory you know it was an expensive computer yeah you know? it yeah. was very expensive to have memory back in the day like you know pictures oh, forget it right so we basically as as the business evolved we would build a website for you and back in those days you know there was an agreement we would maintain that website for you so that was the revenue we would generate more revenue and depending on how much space or storage you would need, we would like, you know, put a contract for you. And the more and more the business progressed, uh, we became more of a data broker, if anything. So we were basically renting server space from other companies to be able to store more data. The company was uh, a decent success. I mean, we had at, at, at the largest time, we grew to 120 employees, some, some, something around that number. Uh, it was basically an accelerated MBA for me, or, you know, I learned about business so much, the things that I should have done, the things that I didn't do. You know, I learned about cup tables and, and all of these different things uh, and things that I probably should have done very, very, very differently. But it was a, a great experience. Company got acquired in 2005. Uh, I basically, uh, moved to the States. My parents were living here. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I spent some time, uh, snowboarding, trying to find myself, uh, after the company was sold. Uh, and I, my dad introduced me to Bernard Smith, who won the Nobel prize in economics for, uh, uh something related to game theory. I was mm. very interested in that. So he said, well, why don't you come take some classes? if you like this. Uh, and I took some classes that turned into me getting a master's in mathematics and a bachelor in engineering. At that time, you know, it was 2007, seven eight. We were seeing a lot of problems. You know, e-commerce was booming. I mean, it was, you know, it was growing. But, you know, we we saw a lot of things. We, we thought it was an opportunity. And this comes to like more of like we think there is an opportunity. And maybe, you know, we didn't do the, all the research we should have done at the time, but the opportunity was that uh, you know it's very simple, and you see it still today, especially in all websites probably owned by you know the government, that you know it says do not press the back button, otherwise you might get charged twice, right? Very simple thing, and mm-hmm. we're like we can solve that problem, and we did. We 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 came out with all this technology, all of this to solve the problem, and we put it together. Uh, and then we, we started offering, uh, you know, we should have done it first as a transaction service. So charge per transaction instead of, uh, you know, we offer the service as, you know, monthly, a monthly payment, uh, and we realized that, you know, companies were not so interested in this because if they got the customer charged twice, it was not really their problem. Yeah. So, you know, there, there were some fees and that, that, that. So. Um, we discovered that the ones that were using our services the most were uh, online gambling sites Hmm. because they wanted to make sure that that money got to them as quick as possible right because it was mainly a latency issue so uh it was that flop that company flop i mean you know we we had a good run for a little bit but then you know there was an investment in infrastructure that we didn't want to do and because our customer was not the customer we were looking, we didn't see really where this was gonna to continue to go. So we decided, well look, let's take our losses and you know go our separate ways with my partner at the time. Um, that basically took me to New York where I explained, look, I you know created this system to reduce latency and allow people to transact faster and that's how i discovered market making high frequency trading so i came to new york and i started building um i started building for a company i started building market making systems or the routing systems actually which is just a small piece of the entire thing I was building when was this system.
1: well what, what, 2009 2009 wow okay 2009
0: yeah so um and then I, 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 I started, let's say that my career in the space of quant finance, uh, from that I progressed to building uh, statistical arbitrage systems based on, I, I used to use a lot of uh, what is called a stochastic calculus uh, to build uh, models. And these models will become more like, you know, a statistical arbitrage uh, uh, systems. Uh, then I started dabbling in, uh, alternative data. Uh, I, I, progressed from that to be, to being part of a team that was in charge of a PL or, you know, or, or, a, a book of business from that. I went to basically be a, a portfolio manager at a, at a, at a different firm where I was basically in charge of putting together strategies to, to trade. Uh, as I was doing that, I was getting more and more interested in, in alternative data, uh, but also, uh, I saw the difference between what, you know, it can be done, uh, as, as, as I mentioned, right. So I had, a, a my first company, I didn't know anything about finance. So I went to, I went to hire well managers, right. Like anybody will do like, you know, so, um, and foolishly I, I would you know expect that that money was going to last for a lot longer and I would ask them to try harder right but you know because of the way that the industry works for them you know the fiduciary uh, responsibilities and all of that you know this they you know their, their returns were nothing great and I was working within you know on the other side and seeing how some of these firms were you know killing it so you know it was night and day so that led me to like how can i invest in hedge funds how can i access more hedge fund investments because a 60 40 portfolio it's not really for me it might be for somebody else uh, you should have a 60 40 portfolio sure or you know 70 30 whatever whatever you're you know you're comfortable with but you know, if you can make 20, 25 percent in an annual basis, that's, that's the goal. And that's the goal we're trying to achieve with Carl. Uh, you, know, it's that, you know, that's a great portfolio, especially if, if the, the, the volatility is low. We found at that time, you know, many firms that could do that. The smaller firms, you know, that not a lot of people know. If you're within the hedge fund industry, you probably heard of many of those. But outside the industry, nobody knows. Them, right. Uh, even even when people say renaissance technologies, right? Renaissance technologies, gold standard in the the hedge world. Very few people know of that firm, but, you know, they've done 79%, I think, on average for the last 39 years. I mean, they're hmm. killing it. Wow. So we found many firms that fit the criteria that kind of I wanted, and this is something that we were looking at at that point with my business partner, my current business partner and uh, but we just didn't have the money. You know, we needed a million dollars. We needed you know, half a million or more just to kind of for them to take our money. So we thought, look, there has to be a way for this to work, to make it work and for more people to benefit. You know, I should benefit. My mother should benefit. You know, you should be able to benefit. My you know, my neighbor should be able to benefit if they choose to participate. And that's how kind of like we started with this. You know, if we get the information, if we get the data, if we build the connectivity because we had to build a lot of technology from scratch to be able to do this and be able to manage the complexity of the legal system and the compliance and the backend and the administration of these vehicles, we might be able to do this. And that's how basically we, we got started. Now, Cy, Cy Smith is my, my business partner. Uh, so he has been an entrepreneur all his life, uh, not flops in his case. Uh, he first started a company that was acquired by AT&T. This is in the eighties, uh, in the nineties, he started Air Sage, which is a company that is still around, uh, and that he was also the founder. So between the two of us, we have seen the up and down of, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a founder uh and you know i think that that at this point of our of our lives you at least mentally prepare you for you know what's going to happen what may happen and what things you're going to have to deal with and it's not easy you know being a founder being an you know entrepreneurial activities definitely not, not 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 the the easiest route i would say but yeah you know, that's what we choose to do in our case
1: hmm. i love this uh, you know uh, quite the journey man uh, i really uh I really vibe with that like you know i've i've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs and i've spoken to a lot of like serial entrepreneurs and uh but i think your journey is very transformative transformational because uh you know you start off in different industries and kind of built around uh you know built yourself up to where you are now do you do you find like you know looking back the past 10 years or you know your your uh, your know, of, of this growth uh, where you are now versus thing like do you feel like that was calculated like you saw the growth of this and you went there or do you just like you know, opportunity kind of brought you here. Like you saw the opportunity that arose.
0: Yeah, I think that the first time around, it was like kind of like I fell into it. And then you see the opportunity, and then your brains are sinking, and you're like, okay, I can do all of these things. I'm not going to do it by myself. I need more people. I need this. And it goes. Uh, then, you know, the second one, I learned a lot at the flop that probably we, you know, we saw the opportunity, we knew the problem we were solving but we didn't really understand, uh, the problem from the customer side. Uh, and we designed a solution, probably not for the right audience at, at that time. And you know, we solved a problem for a customer we didn't know we had, and um, that it turned out to be not, not, you know, not what we were looking to do from the get-go, but you know, business always evolves and change. Now in this one, I think it came to be, uh, and I, uh, it came to be something that we saw the opportunity we studied the market and we put together a plan that goes with today's world so what we saw in the uh, as an opportunity we saw all these firms that have been growing you know you can name betterment uh, you can name Wealthfront, right that started in 2010 2011 maybe uh, that basically by using digital distribution to Put something that Fidelity was doing before in front of you know uh, the investors were able to grow a lot faster. Uh, so when we saw there was a change in the in the law, basically hedge funds were not allowed to do public solicitation until 2017, I believe. Once that changed, we already knew: look, if we're not gonna do it, somebody else is gonna do it, uh, and that. You know the digital advertisement digital marketing and the distribution through the internet you know is the way to go so we saw that no one is offering this niche market what we offer which is quan hedge funds right and we also saw the opportunity because we know how to build technology at scale and you know take it at scale uh so that's kind of where the insight came and from from us uh uh, came from one, technology, and also from knowing the industry and seeing, okay, we understand the industry, we have some connections uh, within the industry, we know what is possible, and you know, if we can accomplish all these things, put them together, then you know, it's hopefully a matter of time until people start realizing that you know, in, in uh, the best way to describe it is that people will realize that before us they had a hedge fund problem. If that's, you know, a thing that, you know, and we are the solution. So if you want to invest in a hedge fund in a quant fund and you are a doctor making, you know, three hundred, four hundred thousand 400 thousand dollars a year, you know, if you work in, you know, technology in San Francisco and you know you're an engineer making, you know, half a million dollars, you know, you don't have the money to go directly to these firms, but with our solution you know you are able to get started and get started with something that is very comfortable for most of of, of our investors 20000 now you have access uh before if you look for them uh you didn't find what you want and you maybe put it on bitcoin or something else right and yep. or you put it more into your retirement account the you know we launched 3 months ago and you know we spend very little on marketing and advertisement. And it's very incredible to see the people that are coming. Most of these people are coming through organic search. So there is somebody, you know, obviously COVID is providing people with a lot of screen time, but they're sitting around there. Maybe they just got their stimulus check, probably, but, you know, they're sitting around and they're like, okay, how can how can I invest this money? what can I do with this money? Maybe I, I just sold a house. Maybe, you know, I just cash in on Bitcoin. Maybe I, I bought some calls on GME and like suddenly I have another hundred thousand in my pocket and they're coming and they're like probably looking. And I think one of the values that we have is that we're on demand, always there so they can download the app and make the decision whether they want to start an account or not. I mean, all the information is there. Right. So we, we we see and we're trying to more and more develop the product and our message because these people are coming, are coming without us, like knocking on the door and saying, hey, there is this here. They're coming because they're looking for it, which tell us there is a real market need.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I love this so much because it's democratizing access. Uh, you know, the financial markets. Um, one of the crazy things is, like, you know, the idea of accredited investors was meant to, like, protect uh, retail investors, you know, by differentiating services, but it created a, a team that got all these advanced services, right? The 1%, uh, if you're part of the 1%, you're, uh, you know, I, I recently learned about this. The 1% uh, that we all talk about is anyone who makes more than four, $400,000 USD in annual recurring revenue or uh, $3 million in, um uh, in, 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 net, uh, in net asset w- value, right? Which is not a, not a lot, uh, to, to, be considered to, if you consider to become part of the 1%. And, and yet, if you're part of this class, if you're part of the A credit investor class, you know, you can, you're, 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 you have access to financial instruments that can give you almost, a zero percent, uh, you know, income tax you, you pay, if you're a professional investor and also can make some fun, a- a- amazing returns, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, everything from VC firms, to quantitative funds that make you know double-digit kind of returns that other people are not able to get, right? For everyone who are not in this class, the only time you see a double-digit interest rates is your credit cards, you know, fourteen percent, nineteen percent, twenty-five percent credit <laughs> cards, <laughs> right? Uh, right. But your investment, your investments might be making like, you know, point two five in a savings account, two percent, four percent in like in a GIC or like uh, you know some bond somewhere or right, in the right. End- right right
0: in, in, you know in the us uh, to be an accredited investor it, it's uh, you have to make more than 200,000 or more than 300 if you're married uh or uh, have more than a million dollars in investable assets uh, and that in the you, you know it would be much more than 1%, you know it would, it would encompass like a, a lot of people but even if you you know even if you are an accredited investor right saying like okay you're considered an accredited investor technically, you do have access to these things, but in generally, the access has been restricted, just like you're saying, you know, if you're part of that 1% or that small section, you know, you have access to BC types, P investments, you know, off-market types, investments, in, you know, so, yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it's one of the reasons that, that it was supposed to protect, like you say, but I think what it has created is that it has created two tiers of investors, right? The one that can benefit more and the one that basically doesn't benefit until Somebody changes the regulation, or or there's services that appear Correct. and make it more available to people.
1: Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with the sentiment. And uh, I think what's happening now is that the regulations are changing, mostly because um, software not just allows uh, you know uh, systems to run with more transparency and more openness, because it's it's software, you can read the transaction details. But two, software is allowing regulators to access and regulate the markets much more frequently and easier. Right. So it's now uh, degraded that argument of protecting people, and now. Now, giving uh, more and more people, are, are retail investors, are being allowed into the, you know, these financial instruments and markets. And one of the things I see uh, that really benefits, uh, you know, with you and, and Carl is that you're doing exactly this, right? By re- bringing down the barrier to entry, uh, entry to uh, to take advantage of quantitative trading and quantitative finance and, and and these quant funds, right? Like you're you're essentially allowing new generations of uh, investors to kind of enter the market in this uh, using sophisticated tools.
0: Right. Right. I mean, you know, I think that's to me, it's very important to provide the access and create financial inclusion. You know, uh, I, I truly believe that, you know, if you provide people with the, the, the information and the tools, they'll be able to make better decisions than, you know, somebody else because they're more vested, they have a better interest. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, it, I mean, that's the promise of the internet, right? Like here's the information, you know, it's, 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 there. Use it. And in our industry, there is a lack of information. So we just, you know, want to put the information out there, give it to you in a place where you can understand, where you can ask questions. It's a safe place for, to, for you to learn, for you to invest, for you to communicate and build a community. Around your interests and uh, around you know the the the, the community of quan hedge fund investing, right?
1: Yeah, um, you know, Gunnar, I, I, um, you know, thank you so much for your time and and for coming on because um, you know one of the things that you know I, I, my takeaways from this is that you know, there are, there are these social benefit companies that are blatantly obvious, right? Like you know, for every shoe you buy from us, we'll, you know, we'll give two shoes somebody doesn't have shoes. You can see the value chain. But there's also these soft social benefit companies like yourself, right, that use the power technology to democratize and give access to those that previously wouldn't have access and um, allows for more transparency and openness and allows for more intelligent systems. I think it does better for everyone involved. Right. So kudos for you and your team. Um, you know, I'd love to see get more updates from Carl. Uh, we love this. Uh, you know, love to have, um, you know, a series of, um, uh, you know, bring back guests in a series. So I'd love to, for you to come back in like six months to a year give an update on how you guys have grown and, and, and the lessons you've learned. Because uh, I think what you're doing is really cool.
0: Thank you, man. Yeah, it would be fantastic to, to come back, uh, obviously. And maybe next time we'll be, uh, you know, in, we'll be in the same room
1: yeah hopefully all this is over yeah
0: yes yeah well thank you so much man it's been a pleasure to be to be here thank you thank you for the opportunity
1: absolutely thank you um stick around for a few minutes we'll do a quick debrief but for everyone who stuck around thanks check out carl and uh this has been gunner
0: thank you